Thanks, guys. If you're going to talk about hymns, if you're going to talk about these tributes to who God is and what he has done, you got to start with the granddaddy of them all, right? Now, amazing grace. Chances are that most of us in this room have sung that hundreds, possibly thousands of times in our lifetime, in different places, in different events, both church and secular. Amazing Grace is a, a hymn that is sung throughout the English-speaking world and probably beyond. Here is the danger for us with Amazing Grace, though. Those of us who have sung it over and over and over again, there comes a point where you're just singing words. It's like, oh yeah, it's Amazing Grace. I can tell you all the words to this one. I can sing along. And what I want to do today is actually for us to actually take note and think about what this song is talking about, specifically, specifically with regards to grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And today I want to talk to two groups of people, those of us who were a wretch, who have been saved, who have accepted this gift that God gave us. Today, I think, would be a good day for us to look back and think about exactly what he brought us from, what he brought us through, what it took, and where we are now. But I also want to talk to some of you who may not quite have stepped across that line yet, and you haven't yet accepted this gift that is offered to you. And I am praying that by the end of today, you will say, I want to know what amazing grace is for myself. I want to take hold of it. I want to be able to say, amazing grace is a sweet, sweet sound to me. I saw this week grace referred to like this. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. That's what grace is. I couldn't buy it. I couldn't earn it. I do not deserve it. But God gave up his most precious, precious son so that I could be in communion with him. Not, we may never have been referred to as the great blasphemer, but for a lot of us, God has brought us a long, long, long way. Another man that God brought a long, long, long way actually wrote about two-thirds of the New Testament and that is the Apostle Paul. And today I want to concentrate on one of his chapters where he talks a lot about grace. In fact, it's kind of cool to read it because you can see how excite, excited he is about grace. It's almost palpable because like his words are kind of just, you can tell they were just flowing out and coming out. And today I want to park in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. There's a lot of great stuff in that chapter, but there are three things because Paul knew we'd be preaching one day in Genesis. He knew we had to do a three-pointer. There are three things that I think we can pull from Ephesians chapter 2. You were, but God, by grace. You were, but God, by grace. You were, but God, by grace. You know what? That's where we were. He starts with, you were. In this chapter, Paul reminds us of how we were before. If you are a follower of Christ, if you have followed and taken the best gift that you ever could have been offered, you not, are not what you once were. 
And so he opens this chapter. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, it says this. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. You were dead in your transgressions and sins. If you are now a follower of Christ, you were not just hurting, not just in a bad place, you were dead. Now, I'm no doctor, but dead is pretty final from what I understand, right? We were done. We were toast. We were, it was over for us. It's about as low as it could possibly get. Ephesians 2, he then goes on in verse 3, it says this, All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were, by nature, deserving of wrath. Now, when it talks in this, flesh is not our skin. It's the sinful nature that we all possess. Those who are living apart from God, those who are living for their own thoughts and desires, when we were doing that, we were deserving of wrath. We were enemies of God. We were dead. Now, in 2023, it is not a popular thing to preach that if you follow your thoughts and desires, you are dead. Because the world will tell you, just do whatever you want. Follow your heart's desire. Can I just say, don't? Okay? The Bible tells us more than once that the heart is deceitful above all things. Telling somebody to follow your heart is about as unbiblical piece of advice as you could possibly ever give somebody. But that's what the world tells us. I read a quote this week that I thought just illustrated this perfectly. Shane Pruitt said this. He said, the pathway to hell is a parade of people encouraging one another to do whatever you feel like doing. If that ain't the truth, I don't know what is, right? Our most popular sports brand, what do they say? Just do it. No. And so therefore, it becomes very unpopular when we say to people, you know you're a sinner because you're just doing what you want to do and following your... You know you're a bad person. We're all bad people. You may be sitting here today, you may say, you know what? I have a good heart. I help old ladies cross the street. I tip 20%. I only use bad language in really, really, really extreme circumstances. Or you may say, hey, I come to church. Can I tell you a secret? And please don't let, tell dad that I told you this. Okay, so between all of us, coming to church does not guarantee that you're going to heaven. Sorry, not a good marketing slogan for any church, but it's true. That's not how you're going to get to heaven. We are all sinners. We were all born as sinners. As soon as we entered this world as babies, we took on a sinful nature. I don't remember when it was, but there was some point 
in the not-too-distant past where my brother, Jonathan, who's here today, he was up here speaking, or it might have been by video, I don't remember. And he let slip. Well, he didn't let slip. He did it on purpose. He told you guys what he calls me, right? He said that he, in, my, in our family, I am referred to as the golden child, okay? Now, it's pretty obvious why, okay? But... I thought today would be a good day, since my brother is here, for me to explain that I am not this golden child, okay? I want to tell you guys about a time that I did something really, really, really bad. I will share it, and then, therefore, I realize I'm going to knock myself off of whatever pedestal you all have me on right now. But I want to tell you about a time I was really, really bad. I was two years old. I was two years old, and I was home with my parents, apparently. I don't even know if you were born yet, Jonathan. Those were the good years, and then you showed up. Um, I was two years old. I was home with my parents, and we didn't live in a huge house, but apparently at some point they realized that I was missing. And so they started searching the house, yelling my name, looking for me, could find me nowhere. Now, I realized that that many years ago, things, the world was a slightly different place, but they started to panic. Went outside, looked around the yard, couldn't see me, checked the road, checked everywhere, no sign of two-year-old Charlotte. Until all of a sudden, one of them had the smart thought, probably my mom, again, don't tell my dad I said that. Um, one of them had this thought, and in the house we lived in, under the stairs, there was this underneath part, which was kind of a pantry a little pantry with food and stuff that we kept in there. And so they opened this door, and apparently they found me sitting in there in the dark with a two-pound block of cheese, <laughs> eating it like a mouse. Now, I managed to give up all the sweets that we have here, whatever. If we ever have cheese Sunday, clear the decks because I am coming through. Cheese is still a weakness for me. But here's why I told this story, and here's what this is to illustrate. Now, whether I was stealing food, that's a gray area, I feel like. Because if it's in your parents' house, if that is stealing, I am still guilty, because I will be honest, at 51 years old, as soon as I enter my parents' house, I head straight for the refrigerator to see, still at this age, to see if they have anything that I fancy. And then I say, are you guys not going to eat this, right? And take it with me. So I don't know if that's the great... All right, here is where the sinful nature came in. I must have heard them yelling my name. But at that point, I was too busy enjoying my cheese, sitting under there. Oh, I was following my heart, my stomach, my brain. I was following it all at that point. Nobody told me to do whatever I wanted. At that point, that was what I was doing. We were all born with a sinful nature. And yes, that's the worst thing I've ever done in 51 years, just in case you were wondering, right? At two years old, 
Nobody needed to teach me that. I just knew I wanted what I wanted and I ignored the world and shut them out and heard them calling and didn't answer because that's what sinful nature does. Now, just so I feel better about myself, let me ask you a question. You don't need to raise your hand or say anything at this point. Answer in your head. Ever told a lie? Man, you guys are honest. I gave you the out. I said you didn't have to answer me. Ever stolen anything? Right? All right, this one you definitely need, don't need to answer. Ever looked at somebody with lust? Now, if you have, think about what Dad said two weeks ago. If you have ever lusted after anybody, you have committed adultery. So there is a very good chance that sitting here today, you are a lying, stealing adulterer. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Like, don't you feel better already? But you know what? Here's the thing, and, and there is a reason for me saying this, I, I promise. It's not just to tick you all off and to head over to True North because you might catch the next service, right? There's a reason I'm telling you this today, and that is this. Unless I realize how bad I am without God, unless I realize where I was without God, grace does not seem that amazing. Grace only is amazing when I realize how much I needed it, how lost I was without it, where I was without it. Acknowledging what I have done wrong is the first step in acknowledging how amazing grace is. I'm never going to get to the step where I acknowledge how amazing grace is if I don't admit that I'm a sinner, if I don't admit that I'm a bad person, if I don't admit I need a savior. Here is the good news for all of you who are brave enough just now to say, you know what, I've messed up in life. Luke 5.32 says this, my purpose is to invite sinners to turn from their sins, this is Jesus speaking, not to spend my time with those who think themselves already good enough. God did not come for the clean. He came for the dirty. He did not come for the healed. He came for the broken. He did not come for all, those who have their lives all together. He came for those whose lives are dumpster fires. That's who he came for. So today when I acknowledge I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I acknowledge the fact I was, you were, but grace. You were, but grace. Today is a good day to remind yourself of how amazing grace actually is. When we look back and say, you were, you were. Next part from Ephesians 2. But God. You were but God. Think about the Apostle Paul for a second, right? Now, we don't know if he cussed like a sailor like John Newton do, but what we do know is this. He was an extremely evil man. The Apostle Paul. He killed Christians. 
His goal in life was to wipe out Christians. This guy who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, and he did not just kill them in a quick, clean death. He killed Christians by amassing crowds, and they would take stones, and they would throw them at these people who would not denounce their faith. Long, painful, stretched out death. That is what he inflicted on other Christians. Can I just quickly say this? Do not kid yourself that that only happened in New Testament times. In 2023, there are still members of our family, our brothers and sisters in Christ, who are imprisoned, who are tortured, who are killed because they will not renounce their faith. We as Americans need to remember we are blessed that we can do what we are doing this morning. And I honestly think that we have a moral imperative to do more than we are doing because we have freedom that a lot of people don't have. Never take it for granted and never forget those who are being killed for their faith. But that's what Paul did, right? The Apostle Paul, this amazing guy who wrote all the memory verses probably, or a lot of them that you have memorized in your lifetime, he killed Christians. A couple months ago, I spoke about heaven, and I said one of the things I'm looking forward to when I get to heaven is finding some of these people from the Bible and just asking them, can you just tell me your story in your own words? And I got to admit, the Apostle Paul is one of those that I want to meet. I'm guessing there will be a long line at his table, but I will wait because I want to hear exactly, like, how did this happen? And I think he would say something like this. He would probably say, you know what? I was walking one day. I was on the, my way to the high priest, and man, I was just steaming mad. I was so annoyed because no matter how many Christians I was killing, they were still popping up left and right, here and there. And I decided that I needed to have a new plan as to how I was going to get rid of these Christians. And all of a sudden, I'm walking along on this road, and this bright light comes down from the sky. And before I know it, I can't see. I'm totally blind. And a voice from heaven says, Saul, Saul, his other name, why do you persecute me? I instantly knew who it was. And I said, who are you, Lord? And this voice from the sky guided me to go stay with a man named Ananias. And he goes, he would go, it would be so weird. He goes, it was so strange because this man called Ananias, he should have hated me. He should have wanted me dead for what I was doing to his people. But you know what he did? He loved on me. He took care of me. In fact, he prayed for me, and these scales fell from my eyes. I was blind, but now I see. And he said, Ananias told me that I needed to go tell others about the resurrection power of this man that I used to hate. This man who I killed people for following, I persecuted. I was the most filthy of sinners. But God is so rich in mercy. And he continues in Ephesians 2 with that. 
But God is so rich in mercy. He loved us so much that even though we were spiritually dead and doomed by our sins, he gave us back our lives again when he raised Christ from the dead. Only by his undeserved favor have we ever been saved. There is nothing more final than death. I realize that's somewhat of an understatement, right? So if we were dead because we were sinners, there was only one way that we could be saved. We were spiritually dead. We were headed to an eternity of separation from God. The person that we were created to spend time with. And there was only one thing that could change that. And that's why Christ ended up hanging naked on a wooden cross, suffering brutally, a crown of thorns on his head, his hands and feet pierced by nails, his side pierced by a spear, flesh tearing as he hung there. The very people that he had come to save and to heal jeering and yelling and encouraging the torture to continue, ridiculing him as he hung there. And in all that pain, in all that agony, he cries out to God and he says, God, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they are doing. But God, who was rich in mercy for you and for me, knew that this was the only way to pay for us to be together with him again. It was the only way to right the wrongs that we have done and will continue to do. And so Christ, knowing that this was the only way to, said, it is finished. Breathed his last breath and gave his life. And unlike his friends and family who stood and watched and mourned and cried and thought about the good things that they had done, unlike them in their anguish and despair, you and I, through the lens of history, look back, and we now call that day good. Because we know that that was the day that Christ conquered death, hell, and the grave forever. Because three days later, he rose again. But God was so rich in mercy, gave us back our lives again, when he raised Christ from the dead, only by his undeserved favor have we ever been saved. You were lost, dead in transgressions and sins, but God was so rich in mercy. We didn't deserve it. Grace is the fact that I don't get what I deserve. Mercy is the fact 
that I do get what I don't deserve. I got those backwards, but you get it, right? Grace, mercy was poured out onto us. You were, but God, by grace. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. How are we saved? Not by works. Nothing I can do. It's a free gift. Not by religion and tradition. There aren't certain rituals that I need to do. There aren't certain things that need to be taken care of. There aren't certain things even that I don't need to be doing. Not by money. Can't buy my salvation. Not by being perfect. Although I almost have that one covered, but that's a good thing that it's uh, messing with you. Right? That's a relief. There is nothing I can do, nothing I can say, nothing I can buy. It is all by grace. That's a relief. That's a relief. It is a free gift, freely given to each and every one of us. John chapter 8. There is a woman there who is caught in the act of adultery. The religious, religious re leaders of that time bring her to Jesus. They expect that he will ream her out and then condemn her to die by stoning. In fact, chances are they were getting the crew ready to do it because they were good to go with that. What did Jesus do? He didn't condemn her. He didn't scream at her. He didn't rebuke her. He didn't tell her what a useless person she was. Others tried to make him do that, but he didn't do it. In fact, it is where you find the phrase, he who is without sin cast the first stone. What does Jesus do? He looks at her and he says, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. How does that happen? By grace. Luke 15, Jesus tells the story of a man who has two sons. One of the sons decides that he's done with the family. He's had enough. He announces that he is leaving. And he demands that he gets his inheritance to take with him. And so the father gives him all the money that would be due him when his inheritance was due. And he leaves. And he forgets about his family. He does exactly what he wants to do which is pretty much a 180 from what he was raised to do. He parties, he gambles, he does everything like that. Eventually, the money runs out. Eventually, the friends leave. He has nobody left. And he realizes that he needs to go home and throw himself on the mercy of his father. And so he does. What he does not realize is that in all those years he has been gone, the father has never stopped loving him, longing for him, praying for him, and looking for him. In fact, as he is walking towards the house, he is a long way off. But his father, who is always looking for him, sees him. He sees him coming and he runs towards him. 
And the father takes off his really expensive robe. He wraps his disheveled, dirty, smelly son in this. He brings him back to the house. He throws a party with the best food possible. And he announces that his son was dead, but now he is alive. How does that happen? By grace. And then we go back to Jesus, hanging on that cross, ridiculed, not anywhere he should have been or deserved to be, spat on, beaten, facing imminent death. He did it, of course, in the company of two hardened criminals on crosses either side of him. They deserved to be there. They had broken the law repeatedly, and so they should have been there um, that, one, that day. In fact, one of them started joining in with the crowd and ridiculing Jesus. Hey, you're the Messiah. If you're so powerful, you came to save everybody else. Why don't you save yourself? And the cr criminal on the other cross looks over and says, stop. We deserve to be here. This man has done no wrong. He does not deserve to be where he is today. And then he turns to Jesus, and he says, can you remember me when you get to paradise? And Jesus, dying, bleeding, uncomfortable, looks at him, a criminal who was probably down to his last breath, who could never do anything good, who had possibly never read the scriptures or been to a temple, Never been water baptized, Jesus looks at him and he says, today you will be with me in paradise. How is that possible? By grace. I got to wonder. So, a few minutes later, said criminal, breathes his last breath, gets to the pearly gates, gives his name to Peter. Peter says to him, sorry, don't see you here. He goes, could you check again? And Peter says, you know what? We got the most up-to-date software up here. It updates every five minutes. It refreshes who is on this list. Your name is not here. It just refreshed a few minutes ago. And the criminal says, could you just refresh it one more time for me? And there it is. This man who did not deserve to be there, who literally, with his dying breath, made it into heaven. And I'm sure Peter said to him, how on earth are you here? And he says, by grace. None of us deserves what we have been given. We deserve what we have not been given. But today, we have received the gift of grace. We were dead. We were blind. We were lost. But for those of us who have stepped across that line, for those of us who accept, have accepted that free gift that we have been given, we have been transformed 
by the grace of God. And I think today is a good day for us to remind ourselves of what that is. It can be very easy for us to sing amazing grace and just to say the words. But wouldn't it be great if we could go back to the part where we say, I once was lost, now I'm found, blind, but now I see. But also the part that says, how precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. For some of us, we've kind of got away from that part. It was exciting in the beginning. How amazing is this grace? But as the years have gone by, we've kind of started to take it for granted. And today, I truly want to remind each and every one of you who are believers here, It's an amazing gift we have been given. We should be telling the world about it. We should be telling everybody we meet this gift that we have been given is an amazing thing. We were blind. Now we can see because we were given grace. We were unworthy recipients. But today's a day, today, to give thanks for it. Let me talk to that other group of you. There are some of you, and you may have been coming to church or listening to us online for weeks, months, years, but you've never actually taken that step of saying, you know what, I believe. That step of saying, I accept that gift that is given so freely to me. Today, I want to really encourage you that you start thinking about what's missing in your life. Let today be the day you believe that you need a Savior. Let today be the day that you believe in his name, confess that you've done wrong, and you become a new creation. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost. But now I find, was blind, but now I see. You know what else is amazing to me? We will live this life under that amazing grace that has been given to us. But then, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first began. We live this life in amazing grace, and then we move up to be with the one that we were created to be with. But today, let's remember what he has done, who he has done it for. And if today you have not yet received that gift, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you today. And we are just so amazed and overwhelmed at this gift that you have given us. The fact that we were rotten sinners, and yet you saw fit to send your amazing son to die for us. That you were so rich in mercy that you stepped in and made a way to be in communion with you, to be with you forever. 
and that you showered us and continue to shower us with something that we don't deserve, you give us grace. If you're sitting here today and you have not taken that step yet, I really want to encourage you. All it takes is you saying the words. All it takes is you reaching out and saying, you know what, God, I want that gift that you gave for me. I want to be able to experience the grace that you show. I want to say one day, I will be with you in paradise. And if that's you, in your own words, admit you've done wrong. Put your belief in Jesus Christ and commit to a life with him. God, I pray for every person in this room, those who may have known you for a long time or those who are just coming into a relationship with you. God, I pray that today we will all take note and realize what amazing gift that you gave us. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved each and every one of us. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.